See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize this is play. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I chat with Bart DeVries, who's a New Zealand-based physiotherapist and the founder of Limba, which is an awesome growing company that is changing the game when it comes to dynamic desks and workstations that promote mobility and movement health. Throughout the episode, we explore Bart's story and his experience with pain as an athlete and as a physiotherapist. We discuss the history of the chair and the critical differences between floor and chair sitting, as well as the epidemic of back pain in our society and the importance of using pain as feedback to improve your health. And this week's episode is, of course, brought to you by Limba. We're stoked to be joining our mates from across the ditch on their mission to halve the back pain epidemic globally by 2050. To make that a reality, we're now stocking Limba Dynamic mini desks and stools on our store here in Australia. This beautifully and sustainably made functional furniture is designed to fit your body, make movement second nature, and strengthen your back by creating a more dynamic work environment. You'll hear all about the benefits throughout this episode, but to check them out, head to tfc-shopaus.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. All right, Bart, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. You're welcome. I'm stoked to be here. Looking forward yeah. to getting it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it for a while. I'm actually, I'm currently <laughs> sitting at my new, freshly unboxed Limber Life mini desk. Um, yes. And without blowing smoke up you too much, I, I definitely am already in love with it. Um, Mac and I, we were saying the other day that we wanted to create like a new ground living desk. And we were telling you this as well, um, but we were like, oh, it should, you know, it should be adjustable. It should be sort of you're able to work at it as like a, um, you know, like a, an office kind of desk at home for a home office. Um, we want it to be a bit bigger so it can hold more things. And then we realized that you guys had already done all of the above and absolutely nailed it. So um, very, very keen to, to delve into sort of, I guess, the Limber Life concept and the vision with that. Um, but I'd also love to hear more about sort of you and your story and how you got into all of this in the first place. So maybe yeah. we start there and just flow. Yeah, well, uh, you know, feel free to say things like that all the time. It's those kind of comments <laughs> that keep me going. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I always get excited when people like land with their mini and they're just like, oh my God, that was so simple and it does everything I want and, uh, and start to kind of form a relationship and fall in love with it. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's, it's kind of the reason I got into this. So my background's as a physio and um, I started in kind of high performance sport mainly, uh, working in that, in that field and also then playing professional hockey myself. Um, got really into, um, you know, fitness and health and movement and played professionally in Holland in the Netherlands Holland for a couple of years oh yeah but uh, after my year there I um, I came back with a stress fracture at my TL junction in my spine and like a real gut disorder uh, mm. been loading up it was my first year being a professional athlete I just loaded up on squats and deadlifts and way too hard and I, my mobility and my ability to move was just rubbish even though I was busier um 
I was kind of stuck in the old regimes of like lifting heavy and going hard and uh, just eating way too much wheat and gluten and drinking too many Heinekens <laughs> and uh, ended up in a poor way the first season and I came back and got told I should um, basically uh, should give up hockey and I thought that that wasn't great advice so I just changed my training program and, and fixed my diet and I shifted to body weight training um, and just using my own body's tension against itself and training in parks and uh, rather than gyms and getting outdoors and uh, played two of the best seasons of my life after that and um, oh. and loved it and just you know learned so much from just exploring movement and understanding my own body uh, that it kind of shifted me into this mode of wanting to get more into preventative healthcare. Um, when I came back, I um, started opening a clinic um, for a firm in, uh, in New Zealand and opened this clinic in Palmerston North and started looking, working more with people who are returning to work after injury um, and people who have been in chronic pain for you know, 10, 20 years, uh, been out of work for a decade or more. And seeing these work environments that people were going back into and just going, wow, this like I might I might solve something, you know, I might get them to being fit enough for work, but there's really um, not a lot of hope for thriving in many of these spaces that you're sending back to people too. So this the, the loop of getting people back every year or two years from injury just I was seeing that loop too strongly and um, wanted to kind of shift my life direction towards preventative health care. And I uh, wanted to learn more about business as a way to do that. And um, so started learning more about business and working in an uh, ethical uh, strategy consultancy and uh, started working from a desk and a laptop and started getting <laughs> pain and neck pain or headaches and uh, turning up to my hockey games on the weekend, feeling stiffer every week. I was just like, what is this? Mm. Uh, and looked around and couldn't find a desk that I wanted to use or did everything that I wanted it to do. And so I pulled a team together and started designing it, and that's where the first from the desk came about. And the key things we were looking like that I wanted was the ability to go to the floor hmm. and to be able to work off the floor and transition between the standing and the floor throughout the day because in a, in a work environment when you're, you, know, you rely on the screen in front of you, um, you can't exactly run sideways. <laughs> not like move around too much but there is this vertical element which is totally unused because of chairs a little kitten in the book <laughs> um and and so uh just wanted to design that in and through that process we realized that the speed of movement was really important um and that you know 80 percent of people with electrics at stand desks don't change height on them uh because they're either still using a chair um, and the other reason is it takes too long to change height um, uh, and that pulls them out of a flow state and uh, and that means that they um, put up with the discomfort rather than change height uh, because they need to stay in their work. If you're a coder or a designer or, you know, someone, a writer, you rely on these flow states to, to get your work done. But um, it's that, you know, you're sacrificing your body uh, to do that often. And so, the speed of changing height became a real big thing that we were looking to design around. So that's what created the first first limbers is just wanting to make something that I could work at if I was going to be in business and um, and work from the floor as well as standing and, and transition in between them and then make it really quick and easy to change heights for people. And 
and set them up in a way that, you know, like you're not having to buy all these different features to make it ergonomic from the standpoint. You're just like receive a desk and you can make it fit your body in whichever way. Mm. Um, so that's where it really started. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, but that was like seven years ago or something that we started designing it. And we launched right. it, we launched it a, a month before the first lockdowns hit and it's been a whirlwind since then. Yeah, I bet with all with more people working from home and wanting their own desks um, and like a, a good adjustable desk. It's yeah, yeah, dynamic. Yeah. Cool. We love to call them dynamic desks because it's dynamic desks. It's, I like that. Yeah, it's like it's it's not about standing or it's not sit stand desk. It's about movement, and you're just trying to keep people moving and make it easier to move. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really important distinction because. There obviously has been a, a big um, trend or, you know, a big thing in the corporate world and the office world of having um, sit-stand desks. And it's like everyone is now sort of aware that sitting's the new smoking, you know, in air quotes, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying, um, you know, a lot of research has come out about the, uh, I guess, the effects of sitting and and we can expand on the difference between sitting in chairs and sitting on the ground as, as we go. Um, yeah. But people are more aware of that. And so they're like, well, I can't sit. I need to stand. But <clears throat> they aren't necessarily aware that just standing in one position is still a kind of sedentarism. It's being still. Um, and it's the variability in your movement and your positions that will really be protective in terms of, um, you know, pain totally. and function and, and all of these things. So totally. I, um, I've been thinking for a while that then, you know, there needs to be another culture shift in the sort of corporate and office world. Uh, and I suppose at home, obviously, as well, especially as more people are working from home to more of this. Um, I, I was thinking ground desks, but dynamic desks is even better because, you, you know, you don't want to necessarily you want always to be on the ground. You want to be able to stand. Um, so having all of the options um, and that vertical, that vertical um, variability, I suppose, is, yeah. as you said, I think is so important. So, Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because I think, like, um, it's weird because it makes the media landscape really... Uh, really difficult for people to understand because there's all sorts of articles that are coming out about like oh sitting like standing's actually not that good for you and it's not any better than sitting and uh, you know which is all true but people misconstrue that for like oh, I, I shouldn't stand and I, I should just sit in my chair and like I shouldn't bother um, not realizing that the kind of the whole focus has been wrong and it's been on on a positional focus of sitting or sitting in a certain posture you know like Mm. Uh, you know, having your elbows at X degree and your head at X degree, your knees this bent, and uh, so unhelpful because it, like, it's based on this sedentary philosophy of like, well, if you're not going to move, you should stay in this position. Um, and standing's not any better than sitting, not realizing that it's the movement between them, but uh, that's the benefit. But there has been no solutions that actually allow that, so there's no ability for media or anyone to talk about it because no one. Um, like there's no example of it really or well, it hasn't been yeah yeah like the the nuance of the background isn't given it's just like oh sitting's bad for you oh standing's bad for you and then yeah. it's like not really not really communicated as to well what what can you actually do and i think or, or, oh, sorry go ahead sorry, oh, go. i was gonna say i, I think if I, I think the message people get is that, oh, well, I just, what, do I have to be exercising all day? Like, do I just need to be at, at a treadmill desk? Do I just constantly have to be moving? Yeah. Um, and 
and that just feels overwhelming. It's like, well, no, I'm not going to be, you know, running all the time or walking all the time. Um, no. But there is there is a happy medium between um, the sort of yeah the you not you don't have to be exercising all day in, in order to actually sort of be moving I guess quote unquote moving all day or just moving very frequently. I think the other confusing yeah I think the other confusing factor that's kind of been in the in the media recently is is um, it doesn't matter if you if you work out after work if you go to the gym it doesn't offset the impact of you sitting all day. Like that message, mm. that research has come out, which has shown that if you sit all day and then you go to the gym, uh, it doesn't offset all of the uh, negative health effects of sitting all day. Um, and like from a physio perspective, like I can understand that, but from like a general public under perspective, it's like, well, can't I do anything right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, is oh, there, no, is there no winning? What's the point of paying for my gym membership if if I can't undo the effects of the sitting anyway? So it's like yeah, but there's no like there's no discussion or no um, like that's not being very well explained publicly, and it leaves people just feeling disempowered, and um, which isn't great for anyone. Um, and I think yeah, I think like opening up a conversation of, of teaching people that it's actually a small change that's needed throughout the day. Um, and uh, the easiest way to do that is by engaging with the floor and introducing yourself to floor postures and um, and the variation of them and how to transition between them and getting up and down off the floor and the impact that that has on your nervous system and your metabolism and your health. Um, you know, like it doesn't take a lot, but we just need to build the environments that make it super easy. Mm, yeah, and, and it is... It's, I think it's quite a foreign concept to most people when you suggest like, oh, get on the floor. It's like one of the best things you can do for your musculoskeletal health and for your you know, movement health and everything. And they're like, get on the floor. Like, what do you mean? It's like, it's yeah. so foreign, but so, it's hasn't been, it's, it's in terms of our evolutionary history, the invention of chairs and toilets and cars and beds and all these things are actually really quite recent. And for the vast majority of of that evolution um, as a species and just as organisms, we have had that constant interaction with the ground and been, you know, either moving on it. Um, and I guess, you know, it's not really exercising, but literally moving on it, walking, running, jumping, so on, um, or resting on the ground and resting on the ground is quite different um, to resting in a chair in terms of the level of muscle activity that's involved, the level of joint mobility that's involved. Um, there was a really interesting article that you sent through to me actually that I hadn't read um, about that whole concept that hunter-gatherers um, don't necessarily uh, spend a whole heap more energy in their day. Like they, they certainly do a lot of um, moderate and sometimes vigorous physical activity, but they're actually um, sedentary in it for a similar amount of time or, you know, quote unquote, not moving, sedentary, in, inactive or resting. Um, resting yeah. But because they're resting on the ground, then it actually does, uh, that accumulates, that effect of that increased muscle activity and joint mobility accumulates um, to sort of create other health benefits regardless of like how much energy they're actually expending well if you look at it from like a i think this is you know this is where high performance sport crosses over quite well because you talk to any athlete and the thing that gets them ahead of another athlete is their ability to recover 
and their ability to recover fast mm. so that they can mm. then train harder and more regularly than their, their competitor, right? And, um, and the, the resting conversation or the recovery conversation in a commercial office work context is just not a conversation that gets had mm. very often. It's like sprint, go harder, keep going harder, and then, you know, recover on your own time by sleeping and stuff like that. But the, what that research looks at is the, the thigh muscle activity in these ground postures. So it's crouching, kneeling, squatting, perching, um, uh, and how that maintains some active recovery. Your muscles are having to work, which means your body's having to pump blood around and that blood is bringing with it all of the nutrients and um, allowing your body to recover better and continue working. It's the same in professional sport when you do a workout, mm. you try to have an active recovery session either you know later that day or the next day to help fill your blood or your body back with blood and, and support its recovery process. But when you sit in a chair, there's just like zero activity happening other than maybe what's in your brain. And, and you're just, you're, you're slumping, in, well, slumping yeah. you're, you're sinking into the chair and there's, there's no requirement for your body to hold you there. It's just held in, in the structure of the chair. Um, and that's one of the things that we found with our research when we were doing the desk is, is as soon as you put a chair in front of any desk, be it electric or a limber, for instance, uh, people won't, won't move as much. They'll inevitably just go back to sitting in the chair. And the, the inertia, the amount of effort and mental energy it takes to be like, I'm going to stand up. It's huge, and so like hardly anyone does it unless they're in super like in pain. Um, so removing mm. the chair and 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 teaching people to use the floor and and um, get to and from the floor and, and try these active working postures we call them, um, and using that as a chance to increase your mobility throughout the day and improve your function throughout the day. It kind of tips the paradigm on its head and it's like actually your day at work is a day for your body to progress and improve not one where it just gets you know stiffer and sicker yeah oh man it's so huge and i think that that point about spending time on the ground and obviously getting down and up off the ground is one of the key ways that we well it's it's the key way that we develop our mobility as babies like we all start on the ground and we practice these fundamental patterns on the ground and so the only reason we stop doing a lot of those patterns is because of the the fact that our environments have chairs and beds and um, toilets and all of these things Um, but as adults we shouldn't really we shouldn't actually lose that ability to be down on the ground and be confident on the ground and be sort of fluid and mobile on the ground. Um, if we actually just kept doing it from, from a young age. Um, and I, I often show it at my workshops, like I get down in these really deep hip positions and I'm like, you know, down in W sit and then into a squat and, you know, just sort of fluidly moving around on the ground like that. And, I say, you know how you see babies do this stuff and people are like, oh yeah, it kind of looks like a baby kind of moving around with their hips. Um, and I, I actually had lost a lot of that ability, but it comes back when you, when you just start spending time on the ground. And the, yeah. the problem is similar to what you said about um, stand-up desk. Like if there's a chair there, um, even standing up is like, oh, it's a bit of an effort. And especially if it's a slow moving desk, like you said, 
But the ground is even more uncomfortable than standing up. If you're used to sitting in a chair, sitting on the ground can be like, whoa, I'm stiff, I'm sore, like I can't be here for very long and you're all off, you're off tilt, you're off balance. Um, and so that it becomes quite a barrier. It's like, oh, no, I can't sit on the ground. It's uncomfortable. But mm. if, if you view it as like, a, oh, it's just because I haven't done it much and the more I do it, then the better I'll get at it, then it, it's sort of you can view it as more like a, a practicing, like I'm just out of practice of being on the ground. And now is my chance, you know, a work day, especially with these desks, a work day can be a chance to practice that as much as possible. And, and it actually saves you a lot of time because now you don't have to do an hour of flexibility work in the afternoon to undo all the sitting. It's like yeah. you just do it throughout your day. Yeah, you have to go through your 20-minute mobility routine before you can hit a squat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah the, um, that's it. And has your, um, has your stool arrived here? Yeah, it has. Yeah, it came with all of it. So I've got it, oh, cool. got it here. Yeah. Oh, epic. Because um, yeah. that's the, like, with my background in hockey, um, my hips and uh, my, yeah, particularly my hips, but my ankles as well are just stiff as. And... Mm. Um, when we designed this desk, I was starting to spend more time on the floor and I was like, oh, the idea of this was really cool. <laughs> like, I think like the floor is really important, but I'm quite uncomfortable actually. And um, so the engineer and, and I kind of looked at this and I'm like, well, what do we do? We need to like make this comfortable for everyone and, and people who um, is, you know, we, we're certainly not the only ones that are going to be like this. So we designed the chair or the stool, the limber stool to just take the weight off people's legs and give them that ability to feel comfortable on the floor um, to start and to make it um, approachable and to, to take all of the fear out of it um, so that there is that ability to just go down and, and spend some time on the floor kneeling or cross-legged or, you know, half kneeling. And, um, and then over time, without much, you know, other practice, it, my ability to sit on the floor has improved immensely and um, I hardly ever use the stools now and um, or cushions and um, and it just it just slowly progresses and gets better until you get to a point where you can you know sit on the floor and, and you, you might go into one posture for a little bit and you're just circulating through you know eight nine different positions um, and throughout the day without really thinking about it and eventually you get sick of the floor mm. like it's not I probably spend two thirds of my time on the floor versus standing, but um, just mm. because there's so much variety, and then every time I go to get a glass of water or something like that, I'm up and down off the floor, so that gives you a break. But eventually, you get sick of it, and then you need to stand, and that's totally fine. And it's just as long as our environments create this, create the opportunities for that. And I think, I think there's a huge future in just deconstructing the way that we have designed our lives and the things that we've put in our lives, like the, the furniture. Uh, mm. And uh, I see a future where there's, you know, there's the ability not just to do this in the place that you work, but I'd love to be, you know, we've got ideas for new products where, where every part of our life is, you know, the lounge, the dining area, um, you know, the, the, the boardroom, you know, everything is on the floor. Uh, and we're just removing majority of chairs out so that we, we can, we can, we don't have to lose this and work our way back. It just means that we're creating an environment for kids, for instance, to continue with that movement. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. The environmental design is so massive. Like it, 
It applies to all, you know, all different concepts, um, but your environment dictates a lot of uh, your behavior. Um, it dicta- dictates a lot of how, even how your genes get expressed um, and, you know, what, what genes get turned on and what genes get turned off. But the, the behavior part of it is, I think, is really massive because it's kind of like, um, I mean, it's the same with, you know, with feet, <laughs> like the environment of feet if for most people is narrow, rigid, stiff shoes. And so their totally. feet don't even get an opportunity to move. And that's obviously a big part of what we're trying to change. Um, but yeah. our whole modern environment is really set up for sedentarism in a big way. There's just chairs everywhere. And the more comfy the chair, the better and, and, um, and so on. And, and we've become so, I guess, used to that comfort that anything that's uncomfortable now, like the ground is like, whoa, I can't, I can't even think about doing that. And I've had the conversation with um, different people and some, sometimes it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense, but I, I can't sit on the ground. Um, but if you just change a few things about the environment, like you said, the stool, um, yeah. you know, having cushions on the ground having mats like we like to have sort of um, martial art type mats on the ground and you know it could be yoga bolsters it could be um you know ground living specific ground living cushions like we've got some from grounded living company you've got one there um it's like you know you don't want the you don't want it to be an option oh sorry uh, you don't want it to be a choice between like ultimate comfort in a chair or like ultimate discomfort on hard wooden ground or hard concrete tiles or something like that. You want it to be like a, oh yeah, I like that ground setup because I've got my cushion, I've got my stool, I can be, I can be, gotta be bougie and luxurious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going to be like walking into your, into your ground space and being like, yes, this is, this is the space for me. I, lo- I love this. <laughs> you know, and yeah, maybe you've invested, I think, I think there's an element of like investing in, in your space, in your ground space of like, oh, yeah, I've got my mats, I've got my cushion, I've got my desk and it's all set up and, you know, maybe maybe you've spent 500 to to $1,000 on it and it's like, well, you're much more likely to use it other than just like clear out your furniture and you've got your floor and that's where you sit. It's like, it's just not going to be sustainable that way or, or motivating or inspiring. No, no like it was really important to me. Um, like I came came at this design with my values, right? Like everyone does, I guess. And um, and I like I care a lot about what the future of the planet looks like, and um, I care a lot about people engaging well with this idea. And uh, and the way to do that is to make something beautiful and kind of sensual that you want to you want to touch and you want to be with mm. and want to hang out with, and it's building a relationship with it, right? And that comes down to you know really spending time on the design uh really getting um you know like obsessive about the design so that you are thinking about and feeling how someone else might experience and wanting to make that a real warm connection between you and whatever object it is Uh, and then going a level deeper and just being like well if the if the planet doesn't exist then no one's healthy yeah (laughs) that's true (laughs) <laughs> and um, so, like, if you take it a layer deeper, what's the way to make this in which that'll, you know, it will last a long time, or can be passed on, or will stay out of landfill for as long as possible, and isn't ruining anything in the process of it being made? Um, and so, you know, we've come to using 
a really premium birch plywood with these discs, which is all sustainably forested. Um, and it has a really hard finish to it, which means it's going to last for a long time. And it's all been designed and manufactured in a way that, you know, it, there's nothing on it that can really break. And if something does break, mm. it can be fixed anywhere and it can be like easily changed out. And it's not the end of the product, you know, like we've on that mini, for instance, in the stool that you've got, we've put lifetime warranties on it and basically just committed to being like, if anything ever breaks and someone gets in contact with us or it's not working how they want it, we'll fix it or solve it or give them a new one and, and ask for it back to repair it and then give it to someone else who might not be able to afford it. But it's, um, there's, there's, you know, like I think the future of creating space is one about making being healthy super easy. So, you know, like the chair is, is like changing your shoe so that you've got a shoe that suits your foot. You don't have to think about your foot anymore or worry about it because you know that the shoe's got a wide enough um, toe box. Mm. And uh, with us, it's just like just get rid of the chair and you've taken the chocolate out of the cupboard basically. You don't, you're not going to get tempted by it. Um, but then, you know, like through surrounding yourself with things that have care put into the design and thought put into the, like, the larger ecosystem, you actually have a much more – uh, I get lovable space that you can really feel deeply comfortable in and deeply re relaxed in and, and enjoy a lot more because you know, because um, you know all those things. And I think, you know, some people go, oh, that doesn't really matter to me, um, but it matters to me. And I know that there's a few other people out there that it makes a difference to when they know how mm. these things are made. Mm. I guess it's, it's, it, to use the chocolate analogy, it's like swapping out the uh, the bar of um, Cadbury milk or something for like a really you know sustainably uh, harvested ninety percent dark chocolate organic you know something that is gonna make you feel better you you feel good eating it you're not sort yeah. of like you know getting getting a mad sugar crash afterwards or, or whatever. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you do want to just eat some Cadbury milk and you do want to just sit in a lounge and relax and, and that's okay. But yeah. the dosage I think is important. If, you, if you're eating Cadbury milk every day, a full bar, then it's probably not going to be that good for you in the long run. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the, um, the, the analogy when people ask me about um, – you know, why is it that it's like exercising after works doesn't matter like uh, if I'm sitting all day. It's like, well, it's like if you eat fast food and crap all day and then you have like a veggie dinner. It's like you've still, yeah. eaten, you're still eaten fast food and crap all day. But yeah. if we can, a little bit of fast food and crap, you know, won't end the world. But um, if you can bring some more veggies into the day, you'll be much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just sort of. And that's that's really what it is at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, and and what we are promoting a lot with what we're doing with feed is sort of just getting back to your natural function, your natural state, like the the natural state of our bodies really is health when we're in the right environment, and it's really this sort of um, I guess domesticated zoo type environment that we live in with you know, the flat level ground, the stiff, rigid shoes, the chairs, the cushy, comfy chairs, the, um, you know, the, the endless amounts of, you know, high calorie, um, you know, processed food and things. It's all of these inputs that are taking us away from our natural state. And that's why we, we all sort of feel like we have to try to be healthy. 
but yeah. really the environment is driving you know a, the vast majority of that and if we can just make some simple environmental changes then it can actually make it can add up to make all the difference totally i think you know the world as it is currently has like it's, it is very easy to be unhealthy and it's very difficult to be healthy uh and i think you know all of the health stats generally show that mm. um and i think like the future I'd like to be a part of and, you know, five, 10 years from now is we have pockets of society. You know, the healthiest thing is the easiest thing every single time. Like the mm. whole user experience of life has been thought through from end to end. And from the amount of movement you need, from the amount of like just drinking water you need um, and good dietary or good nutrition. Um, like if, if end to end, wake up to go to sleep, you know, every time you grab something, the easiest thing is the healthiest thing. And it's like, done. Uh, how good would we feel? And how like how much energy would we have? And what would we achieve? You know, like, and the, the level of problem solving that we would have would be what we need for this moment in time, I think, as well. Because there's a lot of problems to solve in the world. And they're very, very complex. And they can't be done if you're not sleeping well. And if you're full of crap on you and your body is just like, stressed stressed out right you just don't have mm. capacity for huge complex reasoning when you're ill <laughs> um, yeah yeah. It, yeah it's something i've thought about actually is the sort of it's interesting that the the office culture i suppose or the, this corporate culture um that has evolved in our day and age where Everyone is, you know, there's corporate wear. You've got to wear your high heels and your dress shoes. You've got to wear your suits and your, you know, your tight dresses. All of these things that restrict movement. Um, then you've yeah. got, you know, high workloads, expectations to work overtime, you know, stressful sort of environment to work in. You've got, um, you know, probably office bullying and things like that. You hear a lot about that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of stress, lack of movement, um, poor sleep. And all of these factors that are actually contributing to people not being as productive and focused and um, and like energetic as they could or should be. And it's actually costing these companies a lot of money, all in the name of like, we just need to be productive and you need to look a certain way and you need to, you know, this and that. Whereas they could actually probably be doing a lot better with their business and, and probably coming up with much better ideas if these people were actually sort of in an environment that promoted health. Um, and I suppose, really? I think it's really cool that a lot of that can start with some simple changes, like just the desk change, you know? Yeah, totally. I think um, it's funny how like we've inherited a bunch of design that we just take for granted. Mm. Like, like the chair is a classic example. And like the history of the chair comes back from like the design, the, the kind of main motivation, which is, driven the design of chair over time has been association with power and hierarchy. Like it comes from Kings basically in the thrones back mm. in the day. And then the industrial revolution came around and they decided they were able to make chairs at a more like cost effective price and anyone could buy a chair. And it was the association to prestige and power that brought that chair into the mainstream society. And like the higher the back, the chair, the more, um, uh, the more sense of authority a person has, for instance. And uh, and th- that kind of principle in life is, is being unwound a little bit where people are uh, less motivated by 
uh, following power trends and status trends and wanting to follow health trends and look after their body a bit more. And, and that design no longer makes sense to those types of people where they're like, why is this? Like, why, why do we have a, a chair that has all of these things? Like, it's the same parallel to shoes, you know, like Nike bring out this new shoe with this little bump in this part of the foot and it makes it better support for an arch. And you're like, well, really? It's like the same with like a new ergonomic feature in a chair. It's just like chairs are not ergonomic. There's like, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing like the word doesn't fit a chair. Um, it's, it's a design. It's moron. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, cool, a new design feature that will help you feel like it's relevant. But um, mm. like, and I think the other part of that is an interesting thing about the office space. An article I read uh, was about temperature in commercial office spaces is around 21 degrees. And most women go to work in a cold because the temperature is set uh, at a level which suits men in suit jackets. Yeah, and yeah, most yeah. women go to work and they don't have a suit jacket on, so they end up cold in these offices. And it's like a patriarchal kick down the line that's kind of, again, turned up in the office space. Uh, and it's a, another thing that we've just accepted. And these offices that are now changing that because people turn up in T-shirts and and whatnot yeah that's not as relevant anymore but just the the sheer fact that you know women want generally women wanted a a temperature range of about 24 degrees and most offices were at 21 degrees because the people who controlled the switches were men and they're in suits like Mm. you get you get deep into this world and just things start to blow (laughs) your mind it's true and actually the the uh analogy with footwear um is is dead on with footwear and, and chairs because that is a lot of how the footwear fashion trends have come about is from like you know noble nobility or wealth um back in the medieval times would wear these super narrow pointy shoes or um or high-heeled pointy shoes partly for riding horses um and also as like a it's an indication that you don't have to do any physical labor because it's so obvious that those shoes are counterproductive to doing physical labor that it's like, wow, he must be, he must be really wealthy because he doesn't. Um, well, if you go into Asia and you get like foot binding, yeah, you know, like that, yeah. for status and you're like, wow, people used to do all sorts of stuff and hurt themselves in all sorts of ways to like to survive essentially in a world that was driven by status. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you go yeah, like so with the early chairs, as well, if you look at the very early ones, like the early thrones, they were actually massive and people could sit cross-legged on them. So it, it looked like a chair and was like, like a huge throne, but it was big enough that you could utilize it like it was the floor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. History of chairs. It's, it's actually not something I've really looked into, but it's now that you've mentioned it, I think there should be a documentary on it or something. There's a, there's a awesome, it. awesome book. Oh, there is? Yeah, there's an okay. awesome book called The Chair. It's, it's role in culture and design or something. Um, and it's by oh, wow. Professor Galen Kranz out of Berkeley University. And, uh, okay. uh, and it's awesome. She gets it. And, and she ends up at the conclusion through, she does like the whole history of chairs as a furniture designer and as like a professor of design at Berkeley. And she ends up at the conclusion that we need to spend less time in chairs and actually utilize the floor more. I was just like, yes, yes. <laughs> what a legend. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to get that book. But it is, it once you do sort of, 
once you understand it, it's kind of the same with shoes. Like once you give someone that simple shift in perspective and, and like yeah. a different understanding, it's like, oh yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know yeah. why I haven't been told that before or why we're not taught this at school. Like it, like, yes, you shouldn't wear shoes that deform your feet. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's so simple. Like, yeah, why yeah. are we all wearing shoes that aren't foot shaped? Yeah. Um, and, oh, that's why my, oh, I just thought my feet were supposed to hurt all the time. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 they, they actually shouldn't hurt if you don't put them in, you know, casts that are way too small and narrow and, and yeah, not, not the shape of the foot. No. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's this same with chairs. Like, you, you know, you need to, we, we need to shift our relationship with pain and not see it as something that is either expected or something that needs to be ignored or, um, you know, killed with medications, painkillers, yeah. um, but something that is giving us feedback that, hey, something needs to change here. Like it, it, we, something's not matching with what our physiology needs and, and we need to change. Well, and you know, like the biggest driver for me with all of this stuff is, is supporting people who have back pain, right? Like back pain is the number one cause of disability in our world. Um, and there's just no reason for it to be, I think, mm. from... Um, and, and part of that is that we're just not moving enough, you know, like we just don't get enough movement in our life. That means that when we go to do something that's reasonably simple, our body's not ready for it or primed for it or can't withstand that amount of load and we hurt ourselves. Um, and then we put ourselves back into, like we're trying to recover uh, and heal and we're in a system that doesn't move at all. So what happens is like the tissues don't heal fully um, or... Um, you know, we don't recover to a level and then like you get this repairing pattern of back pain over the next mm. 10, 20 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's can be a quite a vicious cycle of like, you know, you have an injury or you, let's say, yeah, like you said, you we live in a sedentary culture. So you have a sedentary lifestyle, then your capacity really reduces your strength, your mobility and yeah. you know, coordination and all of these things. And then you, try and do something that's beyond your capacity. So you go and, you know, for some people it's even just lifting a pen off the ground. Um, and it's like, they're not used to, they're not trained in that um, pattern. And there are a lot of other factors that come into pain, but to simplify sure. it, you know, they, they exceed their capacity and then um, they become actually more sedentary because they are either in pain or they're scared of doing the injury again. And they get you know, fearful. Maybe, yeah. They get you know, fearful. Like they build this negative it, relationship with their body. Like they, they start to look at their back and they go, oh, I have a, I have a weak back or I, um, you know, my back's no good. You know, like you start to get damaged. Yeah. 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 Um, or yeah, my family's got a line of poor backs, you know, this kind of stuff, which, you know, scientifically is totally like, there's no relevance to these things, but it's often the, these are the messages that we've either told ourselves or someone else has told us and we take them on and we build this, negative relationship with our body which means that we we that's a very hard thing to break out of to then be very uh you know to move enough and to be confident enough to give your body and your back particularly the load it needs to get stronger and to build its tolerance and its resilience to movement um when you have that layer of fear just sitting there off like you know i only needed to pick up a pen last time and it hurt my back um rather than realizing the full context of, of that injury uh, and making, you know, going, oh, actually my back's 
really strong, can take thousands of kilos. And, uh, and uh, that was a, you know, unfortunate set of circumstances that got me to injure it, but I made some changes and I'm moving way more and I'm able to do more with my back and my back's not a problem anymore. It's like, it's strong as. Mm. Yeah. And it's that, it's that balance between the capacity and demand and when people's, when they do end up with an injury and their capacity decreases, they sort of go down the route of, um, steadily reducing their demand more and more and demanding less and less of their body um, yeah. as opposed to, well, geez, that, you know, that thing like picking up that pen hurt me. That's a sign that I need to build my capacity. Um, and yes, I've got yeah. this injury now, but what can I do to strengthen and mobilize um, well, sleep better, my back you know? or my, my body. And yeah, and yeah, exactly. Sleep better. What can I do to eat, you know, eat yeah. better, um, you know, there's always psychological components and social components as well. Um, mm. But it's it, like we sort of mentioned it before we started recording. It's that relationship with your body um, that you need to build rather than sort of seeing this, seeing all these things that happen because injuries and pain are bound to happen. Um, but seeing yeah. them as the, as the feedback and as a coming into relationship with them rather than feeling like you're just a victim of those things. Totally. I think that there's like a culture war on our bodies at the moment. <laughs> you know, like there's so many, everyone's like every product out there is giving you a reason to dislike some part of your body. Um, and, uh, and it's really hard to kind of have a positive relationship with your body. Um, I think like easier if you're a guy, particularly difficult if you're a, a woman with like beauty products and all that kind of stuff out in the world. Mm. But um like what is the I think like it's one thing I'm trying to build into limber and I can't say I've clocked yet, but um trying to figure out what are the different different ways that we can provoke and, and prompt people to reassess their relationship with their body and um form one of like gratitude where you're grateful for what your body is allows you to do uh, and allows you to achieve and finding ways to kind of give back to your body and to care for your body so that um, you've got kind of this, you know, it feels like, I don't know exactly, I'm, I'm kind of like not fully, haven't fully grasped it yet. It's like a forming thought, but it's, you know, that to and fro like, conversation with you and your body, even though you are your body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It, it gets deep. But the, um, you know, like there is that sort of element of the observer and people talk about that with mindfulness meditation, like there's you yeah. and then there's the sort of, you know, for one you know, not to get too deep, but like a, a higher consciousness or a higher you that can observe, yeah. um, you know, your behaviors from like a more of a third person perspective and, and sort of, yeah, having that communication between those two aspects and observing what you're doing and, and how that might be affecting your health and then um, coming up with ways that you can change it. And, and a lot of the time, this is something, a, a book I've been revisiting lately is Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. Yeah, cool. um, and it's. I think a lot of people can get um, very down on themselves if they're like, "Oh, I know there's all of these things that I need to change to be healthier," and they try and change them all at once in a radical oh, way, wow. and that can work. I think probably in in probably rare cases where you just have a complete overhaul. Maybe you've got an absolute crisis of health, and you the only option is to have a complete overhaul of your entire environment and lifestyle. But for the most part, I think most people 
and what this what BJ sort of his research has um, come up with and what his book says is that you really need to start with tiny habits that build gradually um, yeah. and and sort of feel the success the emotions of success of like wow I did my minute of ground sitting today yeah um, yes like good work and then yeah. you know it don't see that as like a little thing see it as a big thing because that's way better than zero minutes of ground sitting yeah. um and just gradually build as you sort of develop those emotions of success yeah it's, it's like cycling to work you know like active transport's the easiest way to bring physical activity into your life and mm. um and that's you know that's essentially why we started with the desk is it is a space which people can't move in currently and it was like it just asking for something that would allow us to move and to um and to bring a bit more movement into our life and, and making it so that we can work from the floor uh, and we can circulate through all of these different postures and we can get to and from the floor i guess that's one thing we haven't talked about which is like that being a predictor of how long we'll live yes um, <laughs> so we can we well, can go there or we can yeah. not um but you know <laughs> no, like i think that's an important one <laughs> <laughs> yeah the prospect of dying generally perks ears up there yeah. Um, yeah well it, it is it's a predictor of how long we'll live like the um all cause mortality and uh it's a simple task of getting to and from the floor just to see how our general movement and function of our body is it's phenomenal and if we can bring that into our day uh and utilize that then we start to shift in the opposite direction to general society which is you know as we get older you put more cushions on the couch and on the chair so you don't have to go down as far because you're getting less and less flexible. Well, in this case, if you're coming to the floor every day and you're working through floor postures, you're actually maintaining and even uh, for some people it will be improving their ability to move whilst they're working versus going backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes, sitting on the ground is a little bit sort of unattainable at first and you might actually just need to practice getting down and up off the ground and not That's really it. even spending much time down there at all because i mean it's one thing to say yeah you should sit on the ground as much as possible but if you struggle to get down onto the ground and back up you're going to be you're going to have a hard time wanting to spend time down there whereas if you get really good and confident at getting down and up off the ground then it's like, oh, well, now that I'm down here, I might as well spend some time here. I know I'm going to be able to get back up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it may be as simple as that um, to start. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different patterns that you can do from sort of easier to harder for, for getting down and getting back up. Um, yeah, I like to teach like a tripod get up and a spiral get up in my in my workshops um, as Fancy. Like sort of fundamental ones um but you know getting down onto yeah yeah yeah, they are a bit fancy the spiral ones are cool yeah um but take that to the dance floor hey take that to the dance floor on a friday night you you literally could (laughs) (laughs) just sort of flow between them um but you know it's amazing how many people in the workshops do actually struggle with just just that just getting up and down off the ground and you know i I'm such a believer in ground movement and, and um, ground living, I suppose, that I, I want to do a lot of it in my workshops. And then the, the more I've done that, the more I've realized that most people aren't actually ready for a lot of that. Like I can do maybe 30 seconds of crawling before I start people sort of rubbing their wrists and going like, oh, geez, you know, it's, it's, um, 
it's just we've lost we've lost most people have lost that capacity um yeah and i think even like it kind of makes me think about um there's kind of just different mindsets to uh for for people who've got a different like a, i guess a different level of ability with their body you know like a professional athlete who's trying to use the floor to recover and to and promote their recovery so that they can train again or they can play the next day um versus someone who might be a bit stiffer and might find it more difficult to go to the floor um mm. and you're you know the mindset there is to kind of fall in love with being able to progress your body over each day and and week by week seeing your ability to get to and from the floor and sit in different postures you know becoming more and more tolerable or easier kind of falling in love with progress and and um and uh you know making seeing your body uh, change and, and adapt just because of the positions you put it in but i think that's a kind of an interesting when i left hockey i um I didn't train or work out for about three years. I just hmm. realized, I realized I really didn't enjoy like working out by myself in the gym. I, I had a real purpose for it when I was playing hockey, uh, which was like to get better at a certain movement that I was trying to do. Or, um, and the team environment was really important for me to like do the really hard sprints and fitness and all that kind of stuff. And I found it hard to do it on my own. Um, because there, again, there wasn't that purpose anymore in that in my movement. I had no reason to move. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to get better at anything. And then after three years, I started to get like feel all of the impacts of not moving, which I'd never felt in any other part of my life. Like the mental impacts, feeling low from like not getting enough movement, feeling like days were more difficult. Uh, to the physical impacts of my back pain coming back and um, hip niggles and neck stuff, like. It was a, it was you know, put on weight, you know, like all of those things kind of came to me and I'd never experienced it before. And to get back into training and to get back into moving and sweating and working out, um, there was a point there where it was actually really vulnerable and it was really difficult for me. And it was a, um, it was a humbling experience to kind of go back into uh, exercise uh, or, or small group fitness stuff and just be horrible at it considering I'd come from like a professional sports background and was really good at moving and fit to the space where I felt like I was so far away from that uh, and the thing that got me through that to you know turn, being fit again and stronger again was just committing to like turning up and doing whatever I could in those moments or in those training sessions just to to, to get to, to get some movement in, in my system uh, and that pure commitment of just turning up and eating it, like there was shame and there was guilt for like not looking after myself and being a health professional and an ex-athlete mm. and uh, and just eating that guilt by turning up to a place just to do some movement um, and turning up and committing just to turning up and doing whatever I could and some weeks it was average and I would just do you know what I could and other weeks it was better. Uh, but through that process of just turning up, I started to see progress. And then through that progress, I started to see that was a positive reinforcement to make me want to go and to feel good about going. And then there was a social element that kind of kicked in with people I started to get to know at the gym I was going to and friends that I'd bring along and build a really kind of strong social network in that, um, in that process. Uh, but it was, it's kind of like, I find the mindsets of, 
the different mindsets people need to be able to re-engage in movement if they have not done it for a long time or if they carry a lot of guilt and shame with the way that their body looks and how they feel or their you know when when you sweat you know how you feel like do you look like shit when you sweat and you worry about how you look or um you know as as you know or, or you just feel uncomfortable and sore when you move so it's like not much fun and you try to avoid it what are the mindsets that are needed to get through that and and the social connection that's needed to get through that um i think is also kind of just a fascinating thing that i try to think about a bit because i it was a it was a life-changing thing for me to be in a space where i had poor health and poor fitness compared to what i used to and just the the emotions that i had to go through to get back into it were so heavy at that time i was just like this hate like it was just hard and uh and i think the guilt and the shame were the two big ones that i'd not really experienced much before and um and just had to eat and just eat, you know did that by turning up and doing it and then having amazing people around that would positively reinforce you but um it's a bit of a side note i guess no i, I think i think it's really important because i mean i've i've had similar things um uh, especially uh, with like chronic knee pain that I had in 2018, I think. Um, and even more recently, like I've been out of a, I had been out of the habit of, of um, like a regular movement practice that I was progressing with and, and really consistent with. Like I, I would always sort of remain generally active, go for walks and, you know, do some beam stuff and do some, you know, this and that. But um, there was like an element, there is that element of sort of shame for like, well, I could have been doing all of this stuff to progress my body. And, and I think my issue is that there's so many different things that I'm interested in and so many things that I'd like to explore that I end up kind of just doing not much of any of it because I like, I'm yeah. sort of jumping overwhelmed, man. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And so, you know, just, just, taking a moment to say, well, what do I really want to improve? I know that, you know, my mobility in these sort of few areas are really going to be like foundational for me doing, for me progressing towards um, something that I want to do, which is martial arts tricking. And that's actually inspired me um, over the last couple of months. And it's something more to train for rather than just sort of mobilizing and training for the sake of training. Um, yeah. Mind you, like the, there is there's going to be benefits to doing that kind of, you know, if you're just going to do some mobility work or just doing some gym work and it makes you feel good, that's, that's good too. Yeah. But I think, you know, having a, a deeper purpose or a deeper meaning to, um, to your training can really help. And for you, that was hockey for, for some time, obviously. Yeah. Um, and some people aren't going to have a sport specifically, but you know, it might be as simple as like, I want to be able to keep up with my kids or my grandkids um, and play with them on the ground or on yeah. the playground or, you know, finding a, finding a purpose and an emotional thing um, that gives you a reason to train. And then, and then, like you said, just showing up and, and pushing past those feelings of um, guilt or shame or whatever it is, and, and just continuing to show up for that training um, yeah. and using your lifestyle and your environment to support the training. Because yeah, you, the training's not gonna be very fun if your back hurts all the time or if your foot hurts all the time. Well, I think that's um, one of like one of the things that inspired Limba was my like abstain for training at that time. <laughs> like I was like, why do I have to work so hard on staying healthy? Um, and because I was, you know, grappling with yeah. that after after hockey, because my whole life had just been default health because of the amount of movement I was doing. 
uh, and the focus on diet and all that kind of stuff. But um, after that, I, was, I got to a period where I was just like, why is this, like, why do I have to design this into my life and then go and uh, do these intense workouts that I don't really want to do? Um, how can I get enough throughout the day just from doing my day-to-day? And that's where kind of like cycling to work and doing these, like building these things into the day started to make a big difference. But um, uh, it inspired, how do I move more at my, at my desk? <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's such a simple thing. And I think, you know, it's great for people like us. Well, I work from home um, yeah. and, you know, we've got a home office so we can sort of design as much as we like. And I know a lot of people um, are doing that as well, currently working from home, especially in this kind of climate, um, mm-hmm. sort of post-COVID, I suppose. Um, but there are there is still a lot of work to be done in, in that office culture and those office environments. Um, so what's the what's like your vision for Limber Life on that on that topic? Like where are you heading? What's your what's your next projects and you know how are yeah. you gonna, how are you gonna take over the world? I think um, like I look at it through three kind of lenses. There's like the there's the built environment, which is like our desks and, and creating the furniture infrastructure we need to feel like uh, sitting on the floor is a nice place to be. Um, and so uh, we're looking at other products down that line around like what would a limber couch look like? I've, you know, I've prototyped a dining table, which I have here and, um, and love it. And uh, look, you know, beyond just sitting on the floor, um, how does that design um, facilitate better connection between people as well you know like mm. i think a lot of life is antisocial as it currently stands and the way that that is designed our like things are designed are very antisocial often so how do we bring better connection just through the way that the space is shaped around us so there's there's that line of of thinking that i'm looking forward to doing more with um and then uh there's just getting people understanding back pain more and understanding how to solve their own back pain and understanding, um, you know, what's true and what's not around back pain because there's so many myths in the world and we've created a, uh, the limber back pain quiz to, to help with that, to help people understand what's true. Like, you know, does your back get worse, worse with age, for instance? Um, mm. Or, you know, should you rest when you have a back pain just to help your body heal? Like both of those are not true, but often people think that they are true um, because of, you know, often what um, the medical profession has told people over the last 20 years, and there's been a big transition in, in how much we understand back pain. Um, and so creating educational content to help people embrace the floor, help people understand their backs better, um, and help people uh, who have back pain solve their own back pain uh, is kind of where we're wanting to head as well. So trying to do like the limber life we think about is, is trying to do that refit where we there are pockets of the world in 10, five to 10 years where you walk through those pockets or if you, if you live and exist in those pockets of the world, then being healthy is the easier thing to do than being unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it's an invitation to anyone else on, on, on this, like you guys, what you guys are doing. is just so amazing. Um, Focusing on the feet and bringing that into the body and, and challenging all of these norms as well. But it's an open invitation to anyone out there to like jump on and try to figure out how we can build that. Like, there's so many components of that from waking up to going to sleep. What is the what is the experience design that's needed to uh, to make you know 
make sure that by the time you go to bed, your immune system's better than it was when you woke up. You're feeling better. You're in a more positive headspace, uh, and your body is like moving a little bit better. Like mm. what needs what needs to be designed and created so that at any decision point, any interaction throughout a whole day, uh, it contributes to that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it needs to be a collective effort. Like you know, you're sort of looking at things from the I guess the back pain lens and the um, you know ground sort of dynamic lens. We're yeah. looking at it from like the foot lens, the footwear. It's it, it's all sort of crosses over very well. Um, but you know, the same thing could be done for shoulders and you know environments that suit shoulders, like hanging bars and and whatever. Um, so you know, we we do need to have totally. the, as many people as possible speaking the same kind of language and and the same message of i guess empowerment and saying hey look we actually do have a lot more control over how our bodies um function and how they feel and a lot of that control comes from literally just starting with designing our environment and and sort of being in a a more an environment that's more conducive to to health and function yeah just like not accepting what the design that we've been given and challenging it where it needs to be and, and controlling it, taking charge or ownership of our own lives in some way, in many ways, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder if we need to write a manifesto or something. <laughs> I, I reckon we might, we might have to. Yeah. yeah we should get stuck <laughs> in on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I think, you know, if everyone, I often say in my workshops, it's like, if you, if you just, spent more time on the ground getting up and down off the ground and sitting on the ground and also just balancing um and playing with movement in these different ways and obviously changing your footwear transitioning your footwear then you know so many problems would be solved and and a lot of that is it doesn't take much extra time or effort um, and it doesn't have to be work it can be play um and it's just exploring the movement of your body um and yeah, it's it can be very very powerful. It seems sometimes it's like too simple, but the simplest changes can often be the most powerful, and and um, especially sort of in the long run and for the in terms of sustainability as well. Yeah, and I think you're you know often the simplest things are the hardest and longest to get to. You mm-hmm. know, like I know from a design lens, you know, when we when we design the mini. Uh, People look at it now and they go, "Oh, well, that's real simple." Like, and but it was hard to. Uh, <laughs> it took so much effort to like get it to that level of simplicity. Um, it, you know, you have to understand everything to get to a simple solution. And mm. uh, I think you know, much of life is overcomplicated. Um, and when you kind of really go deep on it, and you go along for a long time, and you, you go deep on it, then you get to these solutions that are just simple. Um, yeah yeah simple simplicity is key i think it's the um, ultimate sophistication apparently yeah 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 i think that's a quote isn't it yeah it's like something like michelangelo that. or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah let's listen to him keep it yeah. simple um and yeah man i really really appreciate you coming on really enjoyed chatting and and also very much looking forward to collaborating more in the future and and even stocking the um Limber Life desks, um, at least some of the range, um, and sort of helping promote what you're doing because I think, I think it's just so important that the culture shifts, and that's a big part of what we want to do with the Foot Collective is is be a part of shifting the culture around 
feet and movement and you know just yeah our bodies and yeah i think it's i think what you're doing is really key for that so I'm well I, to... i'm i'm super stoked as well because um you know this is a a burgeoning community you know like there's a mm. there's a few people online and across the world that are uh, kind of are understanding this and are promoting it um and we need to really work hard together to make sure that we're kind of lifting each other up along the way and we're you know we're weaving our our stories and our journeys together to kind of get this out because it is really important mm. and it uh and it is like simple stuff um and it's things that are you know fully inclusive and anyone can get involved in um but we need to really make sure we're supporting each other along the journey and bringing people with with us and so I think it's you know it's an invitation for anyone who's listening to get involved in some way, and mm. whether that's like designing something, making something, or just sharing and becoming a proponent of it, like um, this is a, a really important movement. It's got, and it is a timely movement um, for this time in, in our world. Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just stoked to be here, and I'm stoked to be a part of it, and I'm stoked to be a, to be launching the mini in Australia and, and having you guys as, as a part of it. Like I feel very lucky. Um, and grateful for you guys and all of the work you've done in Aussie that I can just turn up and be like, hey, have a look at this thing. <laughs> yeah, well, likewise. I mean, yeah, I'm grateful you created it. It means we don't have to create it. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, like yeah, like you said, it, it's a team effort. Like we kind of all need to be on team human, team planet, and just you know d- do as, as much as we can and not sort of see each other as competitors or anything like that. It's It's, you know, we're all sort of working towards that that common goal totally. um, and it's more fun. The more people you've got, the more fun it is. And um, you know, I'm a big fun guy. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I noticed on your uh, Insta handle. It's, uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's classic. And I think the beauty of this is that I think everyone who I'm talking to in these communities across the world, everyone's just really lovely. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. I haven't met anyone who's like, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I want to hang out with you. It's like uh, everyone is just super down to earth and into it and just like enjoying themselves and, and having a good time with it. And so, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. So um, where to finish up, where do, where do people find you? What's the sort of, um, you know, socials or what's the best place to find you basically or get in touch if people are interested? Yeah. So, um, well, you can, you can Google the world's healthiest desk and you'll find us. And um, cool. yeah, that. and uh, that was the the same professor at Berkeley who wrote the book on the chairs. She came over and had a view oh, of that it. That was and, her, okay. Yeah, and she that's how I got in touch with her. I read that book and emailed her, and then she came over, had a look, and we went and she took one back to Berkeley and they've studied it. Um, but um, limberlife.co is our website, um, and that's across all of our hand, handles as well. Uh, so limberlife.co on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that stuff. So easily found and uh just get in touch hit us up um you know i'll be the one replying to your messages so say hi bart and uh, off we'll go cool perfect nice and easy thanks again mate we'll uh, i'm sure we'll we'll do another one of these and we'll have uh hopefully a, a catch up in person sometime soon too um yeah can't wait awesome thanks for listening everyone Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz or on TikTok at thefootcollective. 
If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store, tfc-shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R the number 2, E10, to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.